Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. Praise God. Last week I was I was uh, I wasn't here. I was MIA. Um, a good friend of mine is a pastor, um, not not too far from here, uh, but he just had a he just had a, a a baby. He and his wife, and um, it, it's a, it's a it's a church plant. It's a new new church, and so they don't have I guess many speakers. And he asked if I would uh, fill in, and and I, I I said yes, and and so I was there last week, and I want to thank. A brother Angel, because I know that he brought the word, and I heard it was I heard it was fire, amen. And uh, this Sunday, this this morning, uh, I'm also not preaching. Uh, so you're like, man, pastor, that's two weeks already. Um, but I, I had asked a, a very good friend and and uh, awesome man of God. He brought a word once, and he just completely blessed the house. And I had asked him previously to last week uh, to to speak, and and so he's going to be bringing the word this morning, and I believe that God has given him something, and I'm excited to hear it. So uh, you guys help me welcome Brother Michael Tucker. Thank you. Good morning. All right. Good morning, church. Uh, once again, it's an honor and a privilege uh, to bring the message this morning. Um, I, of course, I want to thank Pastor Ryan for giving me this opportunity. Not many pastors would give up two Sundays in a row, uh, in a row so thank you for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you guys for being here uh, this morning. Uh, now, this morning, I want to bring a message that I must admit uh, is a tough message. Uh, it's a tough one. Um, to the point that I almost... Uh, talked myself out of it, but uh, God kept placing it on my mind and my heart, uh, so I knew it needed to be given. Uh, and growing up in church, I've heard and seen a lot of messages preached where we sit in the crowd and we go, wow, what a powerful, challenging, insightful message. I really hope that person over there is listening. <laughs> Don't do that with this message. Don't do that with this one. This message is not for the person next to you or the person across the room. This message is for you. So... Uh, Let's go ahead and jump in. If you will turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. Um, and while you're turning there, I'm going to go ahead and give you some context uh, for the, where we are in the, in the biblical story. Uh, this passage takes place between Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion. Uh, he's been brought by the chief priest to Pilate, uh, who's the governor of the region that they're in uh, under the Roman Empire. Uh, Pilate and Jesus have this really powerful exchange in the previous chapter, which I recommend that you go back and read uh, on your own. Uh, but when Jesus is brought to Pilate initially, uh, Pilate tells the chief priests and the religious leaders that he finds no grounds on which to execute Jesus. Um, and so as in a sort of appeasement, uh, in a weird, twisted way, uh, he has Jesus beaten publicly. Uh, however, that doesn't do much to sway the religious leaders to change their minds. And so we once again find Jesus um, in front of a crowd of people, uh, now adorned in his crown of thorns, on a purple robe, uh, very mockingly, uh, standing before his accusers. So we're in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 19, and we're going to start in verse 8. And it says, Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. That statement being that, that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Uh, and he entered the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. 
So Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews shouted, saying, if you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Uh, now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. And he said to the Jews, look, your king. So they shouted, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to gather here today. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say. Let each of us search our own hearts to see what we may change to grow closer to you. I pray that every person here today would leave different than the way that they came in. I pray that you would use your message to us today to transform us into a closer representation of who you are. Amen. Amen. I've titled my message this morning, No Other King. Now, it doesn't take a Bible scholar to look at verse 15, at, the, at that last line in verse 15, and go, well, that's not good. However, to fully understand the gravity of those words, it definitely helps to have an understanding of the biblical story and and some biblical context. You see, these chief priests uh, spent the majority of their time in the temple or the synagogues studying scriptures of the Hebrew Bible, what we would now call the Old Testament, and not just studying it, but memorizing every word of it. They would have every line of every scroll, because Back then, uh, you didn't have a nice, neat, leather-bound book. You had all of these things in separate scrolls. They would have all of those memorized since they were children. Every word of every scroll memorized. Uh, In layman's terms, they didn't just know about the scriptures. They knew every word of the scriptures. These were people that prided themselves on their knowledge. So when they stand before Pilate and Jesus in that moment and demand Jesus' crucifixion, I find myself wondering what was going through Jesus' mind. John tells us that Jesus remained silent, but I imagine if Jesus had been any less humble, uh, he might have confronted them saying things like, you of all people should know exactly who I am. I'm in the very scripture that you hold so dearly. Was I not there in the scroll of Genesis when God tells the serpent that from humanity's line will come a man and the serpent will bite his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head? Was I not there in the scroll of Daniel? When the three devout men are thrown into the fiery furnace and the guard looks in and says, I see not three, but four people. And one of them shines like the son of a God. Was I not there in the writings of Samuel and Malachi and Isaiah, who spoke of a priest king that would come from the line of David, who would be pierced for our offenses and crushed for our wrongdoings? Am I not the very one you have been waiting for? Am I not your Messiah? Yeah, I can only imagine Jesus' thoughts upon hearing that the very people that should have known who he really was not only rejected him, but substituted him for a corrupt, oppressive, earthly king. And the logical question that we must ask then is, how? How could they have been so blind? And I believe it boils down to two things. One, a desire for power, personal, political, religious, you name it, they wanted it. And then their very own arrogance. The chief priests were hungry for whatever power they could obtain. While they, like many people of their day, despised the Roman government, 
Many times they took an if-you-can't-beat-them-join-them kind of attitude when it came to the Roman Empire. They saw Rome to be the most powerful entity on earth, because it was at that time, and therefore tried their best to get in their good graces and attempt to share some of that power. They were also arrogant. They had a know-it-all attitude that caused them to put God into a box. This is evident throughout the Gospels when they attempt to trap Jesus in their own theological concepts and arguments. They believed, <clears throat> they believed that the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom in a militaristic way, sword in hand, slaughtering any that opposed him. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, claiming to be that Messiah, but preaches about love and compassion and forgiving your enemies and things like that, well, that doesn't fit that preconceived idea. And so the moment that God operates outside of that preconceived idea, they not only rejected the true king that they had been given by God, they had him killed. And it's easy for us to look at the chief priests and say, you dummies, how could you ever do something like that? However, before we're so quick to judge, I have to wonder what we, the American church, would say if we stood before Pilate and were forced to speak from our hearts. Some of our responses might sound like one of these. There's going to be a few of them. I have no king but America. I have no king but the Republican Party. I have no king but the Democratic Party. I have no king but the money in my bank account. I have no king but my possessions. I have no king but my business. I have no king but my ministry. I have no king but the alcohol. I have no king but my sexual desires. I have no king but bigotry and prejudice. I have no king but hatred. I have no king but depression. I have no king but my worries. I have no king but toxic relationships. I have no king but my suffering. I have no king but my ambitions. I have no king but my successes. I have no king but the one that stares back at me when I look in the mirror. I too have no king but Caesar. And if I'm being honest, I must give credit where credit is due. At least the chief priests had the guts to say with their lips what they believed in their hearts. We Christians often don't give Jesus the same benefit. We declare Jesus with our lips, yet when the going gets tough and the road is uncertain, we run to the ballot box, the bank, the bottle, the mirror. Where is your security, your trust, your allegiance, your hope? Where do you put those things? Every day we choose our king. And often we put it in the rulers and institutions and empires and things of this world. And maybe, maybe you think you can serve Jesus and something else at the same time. Well, Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of Matthew, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. So how do we avoid making the same mistake that the chief priests made? We avoid those two traps that they fell into. First, we must let go of any desire for power. We do not need to seek power in this world, just as Jesus did not come to this world seeking power. Often we seek power over our emotions, our circumstances, our pain. And when we find that power in the things of this world, we are left disappointed and unfulfilled and often angry. Furthermore, in one of the enemy's greatest tricks, we as Christians can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are seeking power on behalf of God. Let me tell you right now, any power you could possibly muster up here on earth doesn't hold a candle to the power Jesus already has. If Christians were meant to seek power at any cost, Jesus would have taken up the devil on his offer in the desert. 
No, instead, we should be like a field mouse on the plains of the Serengeti that doesn't need to seek power on behalf of the lion, but instead sits at the foot of the lion knowing exactly where the true power rests. A Christian does not need to seek power because a Christian already knows where true power can be found. So we don't seek power, and we also rid ourselves of any arrogance that we carry. Christians, especially us seasoned Christians, can fall into the trap of thinking we know exactly how God will operate. Just like the chief priests, we put God in a box, and once God operates outside of that box, we at best miss what he's doing, and at worst, fight against what he's doing. The chief priests knew every line of the Old Testament by heart. However, their knowledge did not equate to an understanding. Just because you know Scripture doesn't mean you understand Scripture. I'm very cautious around people that give the impression that they have God all figured out because that kind of attitude can cause us to be unable to learn and grow. We become gatekeepers to a kingdom that is open to anyone. Our arrogance can be our biggest obstacle to seeing what God is doing. Be open to challenge. Be open to learning. Be open to God operating in ways you don't expect. Because if you don't, you might not recognize the very Jesus you claim to follow the very Jesus that stands in front of you. We make a choice every single day. Who or what is your king? This is going to be a short one today. If the band can already go ahead and head this way. Short and sweet. Maybe not so sweet, but to the point. (laughs) But we make a choice every single day. Who or what is your king. We all bow to something. Some of us have been moving from kingdom to kingdom in search of something that will fulfill us. Or maybe others of us, we have claimed Jesus as king at one point, but now we find ourselves in a kingdom we don't recognize. And then some of us have spent years thinking Jesus is our king, only to look in the mirror and realize we now wear the crown for ourselves. Whatever it may be, We must choose daily which king we will serve. We cannot let our desire for power, however small, or our arrogance about what we think we know, cause us to lose sight of who our true king is. And ultimately, ultimately, you have the choice to serve whoever or whatever you want. But I'd choose carefully. That same Roman Empire that the chief priest chose over Jesus, the pinnacle of power in the ancient world, would eventually fall to pieces. The disciple John, whose gospel we read from at the beginning, would later go on to write in his Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The old shall pass away. Every empire and institution and thing of this current world will pass away, reduced to rubble, and the only kingdom left standing will be the kingdom of heaven.
So we must ask ourselves, why would I put my trust and my hope and my devotion and my effort into a kingdom I know is doomed to fail? I want a kingdom and a king that lasts. But let me tell you the surprising part of this story. Toward the beginning of this message, I told you that Jesus remained silent in the face of his accusers. As they hurled their cries of execution at him, he said nothing. That's because Jesus had already made up his mind. He looked at them and he knew what he had to do. He would give up his life for theirs. For the very ones who rejected him, for the very ones that should have recognized his divinity, for the very ones that had him crucified. And he did it for you as well. Even when you've rejected him, hurled insults at him, substituted him for something else. Even then, he gave his life for yours. He gave up his life so someone like you could be a part of a kingdom that stands till the end of the age. Ask yourself, if I stood before Pilate and was forced to speak from my heart, would I say I have no king but Caesar? Or would I stand before him and declare, I have no king but the Redeemer, the Savior, the Almighty One, the Alpha and the Omega, the Bread of Life, the Good Shepherd, the Lamb of God, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the Author and Finisher of our faith, the Head of the Church, the Son of the Living God, the Great I Am, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the King of all kings, and the Lord of all lords, who sits on His throne at the right hand of Yahweh forever and ever. I have no other King but Jesus. That's the declaration we make today. I have no other king but Jesus. And it's never too late. It's never too late to move from one kingdom to another. The gates are flung open. The door is open. You are welcomed into the kingdom at any point. You just have to remember, you can't serve both. You have to give up one for the other. So, do you really mean it in your heart? When you say, I have no king but Jesus. Or are you holding on to something that still has power over you? And this, this morning, I don't have any fancy altar call or anything like that. I just think it's a good idea that I think a message like this, you end it in that declaration. I have no other king but Jesus. So I'm going to open up the front here. I'll ask if the prayer team comes up. If everybody will stand. And we're just going to take time to declare that this morning. In your own words, in your own ways. Take that moment to declare, I have no other king but Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.